Hi everybody and welcome to No Country. My name is J. David Osborne and that is Chris Zachnesson. Chris, how are you doing this afternoon? Uh, David, I'm well. I, I'm, I'm very curious about how your Father's Day events went over the weekend, but I do have a, I'm a bit buzzed actually because I got some interesting news. I've, I've mentioned uh, on the show my psychologist friend and he sent me a really cool email um, last night that he's picked up on uh, a tool that I've talked about on the show of inversion and uh, he's put it to use in his practice. He's starting to do uh, more workshops and seminars. But the thing that I like that he says in his email is that what really got him excited about the tool is when he heard you put it to use. He thought the examples that I put forward are, are helpful, but he really uh, has enjoyed a couple of times when you've picked that tool up and uh, have used it very effectively. So it just kind of shows that I think we're, we're, we're really getting through to people. And I'll give you a couple of examples of uh, how he's using it. Uh, he just did a workshop <clears throat> looking at the question of, is anxiety really boredom? in either mm. disguise or denial. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a fascinating perspective. Yeah. The other um, thing that he's, he's got one that is really, it's apparently, it's, uh, it's stirred a lot of people up. The pleasures of being triggered <laughs> and how people actually may be enjoying being triggered and using it as a kind of stimulus. Yep, speaking you know? my language, speaking my language so over here. That I, is, I think it's so true. If there's an entire website called Twitter.com that, that proves this to be true. Exactly so, but that, right. But that and is very cool that these ideas are beginning to trickle out into... And he's, he pitched uh, a question to you because he, he thought... Um, I mean, the, the expression normalizing is something that we hear in the media all the time. Mm -hmm. But you've used it a couple of times in some very specific instances and I think kind of put a new spin on it. Mm -hmm. And he wanted me to throw back to you also that there, the inverse, because he's using the inversion tool, of denormalizing, mm -hmm. where you take, <clears throat> or demajorating, as he, as he says, you know, where you have uh, a standard, a, a, a norm, uh, and yet you, you denormalize it. You make it seem kind of marginal, you know, in a rhetorical sense. And I think that's very, very interesting. So that's a little bit of feedback from uh, the airwaves. We talk about the ghost radio signal and building pirate, you know, radio community. And it, it, it works. So, so that's what's going on with me. I was very pleased about that and I said I would pass that news on to you. Um, tell me about Father's Day now. How did that go? Yeah, yeah, before I do that, this idea of denormalizing, I love the idea of walking up to somebody drinking a coffee at 10, you know, 10.30 in the morning or whatever and saying, uh, what the hell are you doing? You're drinking yeah. coffee. Yeah, drinking, right. You're drinking it's... coffee. No, I, and I know that that's, you know, uh, kind of an oversimplification. I can talk, Chris. You know I can talk. You, you know that <laughs> yes, my English skills are up to par. Um, <clears throat> Father's Day was... It was great. I had a lot of editing to do. I wanted to use the weekend, which was a three-day weekend now, because Juneteenth is a bank holiday. 
and I am pro any bank holiday. And I think that Juneteenth has a lot of merit to it. Um, so my wife had a three-day weekend, and I decided to use that to barrel through all the remaining manuscripts I have for the month to, you know, make my rent and my bills and be able to uh, really focus for the next week or so on the Psychic Defense Manual and uh, a novel that I'm publishing on Broken River by a guy named David Simmons called The Ghosts of East Baltimore. Um, mm. So Sunday, though, my wife was not going to let me just hole up and work all day. It just wasn't po- it wasn't possible. So we loaded up the car and we went to the Quail Springs Mall in Oklahoma City because I was on the hunt for Father's Day sales on uh, pairs of shorts. I only have three, and three isn't enough. I need uh, more color, more variety, so I got some really nice uh, <laughs> pastel purple shorts that are pretty cool. I oh am a, my. yes sir, I am a very meat and potatoes. Um, all of my shorts are black Nike, uh, like uh, not track, but like basketball shorts. I'm a basket. I'm wearing black basketball shorts right now as we're talking, and these were from H and M. Easily my favorite uh, slave trade corporate, uh, you know, exploiter in existence. Right? I mean, shout out to whatever Bangladeshi woman made those shorts for two cents because they are they fit fantastic, and I look kind of cool see the thing is you, you sound surprised see the thing is you have a really cool sense of fashion i think last time we talked you had this great ufo shirt on you've got a, a really neat wardrobe of color colors and you know little guys doing stuff on your shirt and i'm <clears throat> me i'm wearing black uh, Nike trainers, black Nike basketball shorts, and an Arizona brand plain blue t-shirt. And I thought, you know, I don't necessarily want to go too crazy on the fashion end, but let's try the purple shorts. Good for you. That's a good, that, that's a tip. That's a tip for people. I mm-hmm. think that's a really great idea. Have, particularly for males. I think, you know, it, 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 there are some people who allow themselves to have some fun. But I think that we need to, uh, to enjoy fashion a bit more. We need to think about maybe, uh, I don't know, I'm thinking of a, a new approach to my haircut. Because uh, mm-hmm. I like the gals uh, who, um, I'm, I'm getting a bit scruffy and I'm, thinking, well, maybe I'll just go down and see the gals, because I quite like them. They're a fun group. But, you know, little things, accessories, you know, women have been doing this for years. Correct. Little little treats. It doesn't have to be personal wear. It could be, I like little gadgets, you know, like that pocket magnifier. I have mine. Mine came in Excellent. the mail, and Gus and Excellent. I looked at a piece of... Um, I don't know the word for this. It's the piece in the indent of the concrete of my driveway. Uh, it's a, a black, rubbery substance, but it was covered with moss. And we looked at the moss, uh, and it looks like a little forest. 
come back. That is a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. You know, I mean, it's so. It, this is crystal radio thinking. What we when we talk about crystal radio for listeners who, who missed that part, it's about this deep, you know, do-it-yourself, homemade kitchen table backyard approach to science and projects. It's particularly relevant to people with kids. And it was something that, you know, really started to catch on during the COVID phase. But it's a great practice, whether you have kids or not. Just, you know, I, I've been out uh, on my walks out behind me, you know, because it apparently looks like a desert, you know. <laughs> and people go, there's no life there, you know. And I said, what? What are oh, you talking about? Oh, that's horseshit, man. Oh, it's, and so I've been doing a biodiversity index. <laughs> and I cannot go out ever and not see something new you know it's just it's amazing and i think if we're if we're looking around at things and we have a few of these little tools like a pocket magnifier and there are great gadgets around you know like this that are there to inspire the mind and 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 they're also physical you know they're not just computer games or you know stuff we do in a room you know they get us out so that's cool i'm glad yeah. to hear about that yeah because if your head is in a room the room is in your head so you got to get outside you have to get that's outside right. we saw a badass spider uh, a whole spider city not even a web in the elm tree in my front yard one of the branches has just been sort of overtaken by a, a spider nest and we have uh, Gus and I have explored some of the spiders that come into the house we have covered spiders which you have to be careful about because they're also known as false widows and they do have something of a nasty bite but I let them uh, live in the corners because <laughs> where the there's a false widow who lived that lives under my toilet and there's a web there and there every three or four days I'll just go in and sweep the dozen fly bodies uh, from underneath the web that she's caught so her services are appreciated we just uh, you know Gus does li- like to rummage through coverage so I look with him just to just, just to make sure but most of them that we have are common house spiders uh, we, I've ha- there's a wolf spider that lives in my car um, oh dear they're yeah. intense they are intense. intense. They're very intense, and I can't, I can't, I have, I didn't catch him, and he disappeared into the machinery of the car. There's kind of a, there's a hole where the seatbelt comes out, you know, and either he or she crawled into there, never to be seen again. So, far as I know, spiders live in my car, um, but, you know, man, that might make uh, some people uncomfortable. Of course, from a safety perspective. Uh, from Gus's perspective, obviously I don't want him to be bit by any of these spiders. But this is kind of you know what we talk like. I don't like the idea of uh, drinking bleach, right? Drinking bleach doesn't sound like a good idea to me. You know, to make sure that my inner gut biome is completely pure and unsullied by the by the nasty outside. And um, you know, my environment is in me, and I'm in my environment. So conversely. Man, I don't want to. I don't want to wipe down every surface every day because I would. I would. I'm OCD in that way. Uh, I have Clorox wipes. I'm a big fan of the Clorox Corporation, but I just want a little bit more. A little bit more balance. Let the spider live under the toilet. Uh, let the spider live in my car, and uh, let Gus. This was a big one for me. Uh, let him 
get his hands dirty and then put his fingers in his mouth, right? I mean, it's it's just I was driving myself nuts with that one in particular, not wanting him to put, uh, you know, to eat dirt. <laughs> but, right, right. Uh, because you be uh, immediately begin to think, oh, oh my God, like where has that dirt been, right? Did that come? Did did that dirt somehow blow on the wind over here from like the crack of a hobo's ass, right? Uh, and now Gus is ingesting. And I understand this isn't how science works, but OCD doesn't care, right? Uh, <laughs> no, but, it does not. <clears throat> but I've been, long story short, I've been uh, pretty good about letting it go, man. Just, it's fine. It's fine. I'm in an environment. I think that is very, very healthy, and it's, you know, it, it's, it's really practical, because otherwise you'll go nuts. Mm -hmm. And you see, you know, parents who do go nuts. Yeah. And I, I, I've known many people across the years who have never, you know, their children actually grow up, or at least physically appear to grow up, but the parents are, are still stuck back in that infant-toddler phase of constant anxiety about electrical sockets, about mm -hmm. anything that can go in the mouth, choking hazards, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I had a friend who had a, that was his name of his band, Choking Has. It's a good name. Uh, yeah, but it, you, you can go completely nuts, and it can it can start to shape a child's sense of the world. And I I think that what we're seeing with uh, many millennials and many Gen Z kids is the the downstream effects of of that kind of really uh, manic anxiety. Yeah. Projected, you know, onto them. Right. And um, you just—I mean, I—I I really do know some people who are just like so over the top. And for interestingly, for them, the people I'm thinking of, COVID nineteen was a blessing mm -hmm. because it gave them and it gave them absolute freedom to hose themselves down with Lysol. And wash, their, to, wash their fruit before they ate it? Oh man, everything. It was just, you think, God, this is ritual behavior of an almost insect level of yeah. intensity. Yeah. And it was very satisfying for them because it, it really was a way to exercise the OCD mm -hmm. uh, tendency, but also a deeper sense of, of panic. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's all about that momentary scratching of the itch. It's a rash that is inflamed in your brain, and if you if you're not careful, as I haven't been careful in the past, you'll spend all day scratching. And you know, I really started to feel like I was missing out on life. My OCD was getting so bad <laughs> because I was doing things that were clearly ritual itch scratching behavior that had no real benefit to, to my life or the lives of anybody else and it's hard to let that stuff go it's hard because it's you know it involves catastrophic thinking you immediately jump to the worst possible those people who are washing their fruit are uh and i mean i don't mean washing it with water i mean with dish soap um the people who are doing that are momentarily scratching the itch 
of the image in their mind of them struggling for breath on a ventilator three or four weeks down the road, right? That's what they're push. That's the can that they're kicking down the road, but it will never stop. In fact, no. you, you, you have to, my, and this is uh, exposure response therapy, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, all treatments for OCD uh, end up in this practice of, you know, you're going to meditate on being on that ventilator. You're going to really inhabit that. You're going to think, you, you know what, we might even, we might even show you somebody on a ventilator uh, on YouTube or something like that. You might have to sit there and watch it for five minutes until you build up a tolerance point being you can't run from anything <laughs> no you, you gotta as they say in prison you gotta loosen the cap you know yeah. otherwise you'll explode mm-hmm. it, it it's funny you you just brought to mind um i didn't ever finish the story uh because i was writing about it but uh when i ran my uh, advertising agency in australia we had bosch the big German uh, appliance company. You know, they, they make tons of different things. And a big part of their manufacturing deal worldwide is in Thailand. Mm-hmm. And they had a, a, it was a company culture issue that uh, my attention got drawn to. If they, they would send out these young, very uh, straight-edged German engineers, often from smaller towns in Germany, not from, you know, Berlin or Munich, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, engineering guys sometimes from like a Calvinist kind of background, and they'd go to Thailand and the street food, and the women, and mm-hmm. the hygiene, and some of them just could not. Yeah, cope. yeah. Where the street food might not be dead, and the women might not be women. Well, it was just too much for someone, and they, they would have an enormous attrition rate, and it was kind of like an ongoing Graham Greene novel, Yeah. And, and, and then some of them who, like, you could actually see the breakthrough in a couple of cases, and they would go completely local. They would go so far local, they wouldn't be able to go home to Germany again. Yeah, so yeah. I, I love that, you know? Totally. No, that's awesome. Um, we today on the show we are going to because I could go on I was about to start rambling about how much I want to visit Thailand which is true it's number one on my list but today you brought up a really interesting idea related to last episode so and this ties into what we're talking about with the OCD and everything like that we're talking about derangement syndromes this was a term popularized by TDS or Trump derangement syndrome during the years uh, 2015 through present people have a tendency to not simply dislike Donald Trump but to be triggered into derangement by the mere mention of his name uh, frothing at the mouth could never uh, for example get the words out of their mouth Uh, you know maybe Trump did some okay things maybe Trump did some things that were good couldn't happen so you brought up this idea that beliefs can be like allergies that they're that they're free-floating and they affect everybody differently for example i am not allergic to peanuts Uh, there are some people though if you show them a peanut they'll go into anaphylactic shock right um 
And the derangement syndrome is an instance where a person is highly allergic to a certain belief or idea. So we thought that it would be it would be cool in this episode to not always be projecting out on everybody else and what what's wrong with them, but to kind of talk about our own derangement syndromes and maybe do a little exposure therapy on those things <clears throat> to 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 free ourselves from our pet derangements. I think that's the plan, and it ties in with our commitment to, uh, you know, learning and sharing and, and, and being a community together, trying to help each other out. And, and if we can actually help each other come to terms with our allergic reactions to belief systems, our derangement syndromes, because we do all have them. I think we really yes, do today. We do. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course they can vary in, you know, in, in severity, but if we could let a little air and light into that uh, for, I mean, our goal here I think is to prompt listeners to review their own derangement syndromes and to think in, term, in remedial terms of how we would deal with it in an allergic sense. You yeah, know, what right. do you do? Right. You, you, you take some steps, maybe if, you know, in, in a, a, a literal uh, allergic sort of situation, you might think of having some Benadryl on hand mm-hmm. uh, or a, a big shot of, of uh, B vitamin ready to go, depending on what it is. Uh, you might have some numbers on your fridge of who to call. You know, it depends on the severity of it, but you don't, in physiological terms, just sit back stupidly and let the allergies play havoc with you. And I I think our point is we we shouldn't let these thought contagions, that was a a term that came out of the memetics movement, which is a little bit... um, fallen out of favor in formal terms, but it's still enormously active in real practical street level media consumption terms. So I think this is a good good approach uh, to think in terms of belief as belief systems that have allergic reaction potential. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Before we do that, do you have an imaginative challenge for me? Of course, you've given me my five words that I'm going to choose two of to slip clandestinely into the conversation. But uh, I feel like I feel like doing a bit of an imaginative challenge today, and I feel like you're the guy with the big Santa Claus bag of them. So do you, do you have I one for am. me today? I am. Okay, I'm going to read some. This is this is really from the news. I I. I uh, I saw this guy interviewed. He's the CEO of a company called Kraken, as in the sea monster. Mm-hmm. There's some sort of cryptocurrency. I have a Bitcoin Kraken. Thing. I have an account. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, this guy is, is Jesse Powell. Sort of an interesting. Uh, he, he looks like the CEO of a cryptocurrency, but I thought he was very, very articulate. And this is a statement uh, that he put forward to employees. If nobody is ever offended, we either don't have enough diversity of thought or we don't have enough transparency in communication. We recognize that hurt feelings are inevitable in a global organization that is optimizing for team outcomes 
above individual sentiment. The ideal Krakenite is thick-skinned and well-intentioned. Okay, so this kind of ties in with our theme of, of allergic reactions and trigger points and derangement syndromes. Having only heard that once, but you get the idea of it, I want you to craft, as your imaginative challenge, your statement to employees as a CEO uh, and to bear in mind some of the hot button issues of our time, you know, diversity and inclusion, uh, the degree to which employees are listened to, uh, what is the basis of, of teamwork in, in your corporate situation? This is you running the company, your dream company, and you're taking a stand that you want to be firm, and this is also something you're facing as a, as a father, as a parent, to be a firm figure of clear and consistent authority, but also not to be heavy-handed and uh, patriarchal in an ancient, you know, an older sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so a little bit of corporate, corporate thinking there about how you phrase that because, uh, for, I, I one of my favorite uh, responses of David, I, I challenged him to come up with a com a mission statement or corporate profile, that was, that sounded completely reasonable but had no sense to it whatsoever <laughs> because there are a lot of corporations like this and he did an absolutely brilliant job. I'm not sure what number episode uh, that was, but some of these to me are worth going back to just to hear David's response alone. And that one in particular, um, a couple of other listeners mentioned it to me because you got the rhythm of it just perfectly, the vocabulary. The, the syntax and the diction was just, just spot on. And yet, the semantic worth of it was absolutely no. zero. Yeah. It, was, it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. So I encourage people to go, we'll uh, have a bit of a treasure hunt in our uh, list of shows because uh, I don't know if you, if you flagged that one, David, but it, it was one of my absolute favorites. Uh, you've done a great job on, on all of them, but it's up there uh, for listeners for, I have to say, it's very close. It's in the running with David's unforgettable response to the question, can diarrhea ever be good? <laughs> It, it was on that level. It was just, it, these are just delightful performances in real time. And, and remember, he's not had any exposure to these challenges or prompts uh, pre-show. None mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Guarantee that. That's, that's one of the, the, key, uh, the key factors. And for people, we are, uh, as you mentioned, uh, working on our psychic defense manual, the first in a series. That's going to be coming out somewhere in, in the summer months. And there are uh, a little bit of a recap of some of the imaginative challenges that David has fielded so that you can practice a bit yourself. It's a great discipline. So there. Sorry, I'm eating a bit of a cliff bar. This is one of the things of fatherhood is the um, sneaking in snacks whenever you can. So, I understand. Uh, <laughs> keep, that, keep the energy up. Keep the energy up. 
So that's a fantastic challenge. I'll be thinking about that while we talk about derangement syndromes. Let me, <clears throat> let me get us started here with my personal derangement syndrome. For listeners of the show, this will be episode 106, counting the, 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 the zero episode. Um, actually, no, plus the zero episode. And in that time, uh, we started the show right in the thick of the COVID-19 pandemic. And, uh, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous style, uh, my name is J. David Osborne, and I have <laughs> COVID-19 derangement syndrome. Feels good. Feels better. Now, you might be wondering, which one? Which COVID derangement syndrome do you have? Ooh, that's a good point. <clears throat> yes. Let's get good specific Good inversion here. thinking. Oh, yeah. that's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah well, let's get specific here. I was not one of the people who was washing my fruit with Dawn dish soap. I was not one of the people who... Uh, jumped at the chance to uh, put a mask on and as of this recording I am still and will remain for as long as possible uh, unvaccinated. So my derangement syndrome went in the complete opposite direction of that where I became extremely obsessed with what I felt was adding a bit of nuance and clarity to the cultural conversation. The irony of this is that you can become deranged about things like nuance. A new study would come out that would prove the drug hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, which I have uh, both of here in my medicine cabinet, are completely ineffective or ineffectual horse drugs that uh, don't do anything for COVID-19, and I would my blood pressure would go up. And uh, what are you talking like? Why, why is everybody shutting this down? Uh, I became incensed at uh, things like school closures and uh, pictures of elderly people hugging their grandchildren through plastic tarps and, um, you know, just this sort of general uh, sort of witch hunt atmosphere for anybody who was less than, than shaking in their boots about COVID-19 uh, triggered me to no end. Uh, I, I think that the best way, because like, I've been writing in my notebook per Chris's tip a few episodes back in the last episode, the last episode. Um, yeah. And one exercise that I have found really beneficial is when I have these derangement syndromes, I simply write down precisely what I believe about the issue at hand and put a pin in it. It's written down. It's what I think. I'm done thinking about it and I'm done. So here's what I think about COVID. I think that it was largely a product of uh, media hysteria that got people to become hypochondriacs. I think that it is a real disease that came from a lab in Wuhan, uh, although the people who were responsible for it are a vast uh, network of health organizations performing gain-of-function research into essentially bioweapons in labs across the world. It's a problem on par with the, uh, the proliferation of nuclear weapons, in my opinion. 
I think that uh, people who were obese and people who were elderly got affected the worst. I think that for them, all precautions would be uh, wise to adhere to. And around people in those demographics, I would do things like adhere to the, a mask policy or a social distancing policy. Uh, but I believe that the smartest thing we could have done was more similar to the way the Swedish government carried it out to sort of let it rip and just sort of see what happens because you can't alter the course of mother nature uh, once something once one of those cats is out of the bag so to speak so that's what I think I'm done debating it it doesn't matter anymore and I am now free for whatever right I'm open I'm open to people who think that that is not just wrong but bar barbaric or evil that's fine people can think that uh, I'm open to history proving me completely wrong I'll, I will reevaluate this every five years I'll do a, a, an overview of the literature and see where we're at uh, but for now it's a dead subject to me not worth discussing Ah, oh, I feel better. Okay, okay. Uh, I think that's very good, uh, and I, I hope listeners hear that the you know the therapeutic benefit of, of of actually doing some handwriting in a journal to put some ideas really down on paper, if only just for yourself. Um, David didn't use an expression which uh, he has been using of late, which I really like in this context of. Uh, not having to litigate the subject further. Mm, mm -hmm. uh, I really love that idea. I, I think that um, some, some, I use a, oftentimes uh, prosecute or interrogating ideas. And I think some of these uh, legal terms have a lot of merit, particularly in anything that might uh, fall into the category of a debate. Of course, we don't normally have debates anymore. We just have shouting matches. but. I thought that was very interesting. A couple of questions. To what extent, because we're talking about, if we're, if we're thinking about triggering, we're thinking about de-triggering or diffusing or coping with allergic responses. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if some of what you found uh, allergic or triggering in the thick of the, this whole episode was an inconsistency, uh, an illogic, if you like, on the mm -hmm. part of certain people regarding body autonomy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I find that something that uh, has has niggled me a little bit. I, I haven't been so triggered uh, about COVID as you have. That I will get to my uh, my allergic responses soon. Um, but I, I did have some real problems with that. It, it, I was intellectually, uh, I hate to say offended, but intellectually challenged about the inconsistency mm -hmm. of my body, my choice, and then you must wear a mask or two masks or three masks, you know, if you go mm -hmm. in an air, you know, mm -hmm. and that kind of, did that figure into your thinking that, that there was... It, and, and in a sense, I guess my question is really focusing on an inconsistency of public 
uh, behavior on the part of individuals. Individual rights versus social responsibility. I look for more consistency on those things, and that's what kind of pissed me off. Yeah, I, it, it definitely bothered me as well. Particularly the masks less so than the vaccine debate. It chilled me to the bone to realize that there were people who, if they had their way, if they were a grand supreme ruler of the world, would have forcefully inoculated myself and my child, right? Um, because there really wasn't any end to uh, who should get the shots or how many shots that they should get. There are some people who are just, you know, vaccinate the world. And that, to me, uh, is a complete violation of the my body, my choice idea. I think that you could even look at face masks as a kind of social nicety, uh, good manners in some cases, particularly around people who are have been really affected by the, by the fear of this thing. Um, but when it comes to the vaccine in particular, uh, and I am a person who believes in a woman's right to choose whether or not to have an abortion. Although I think that it's, uh, you are in many cases uh, also taking, a, literally taking a life when you do that. Still think it's their choice, but it's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? So I think that both of those uh, arguments for me land completely at bodily sovereignty and hands off my body, whether it's my uterus or my my mRNA, right? Either mm-hmm. either way, just completely stay away from it and let me make the choice. If in fact the vaccine is effective and it would prevent me from dying of COVID nineteen, and then I died, uh, well then I died, right? And if it kept me more contagious than somebody else, uh, and I got somebody else sick and they died, then they died. Right? But that's being in an ecosystem. And I know that that sounds kind of brutal, but I don't like the equivocation or the dancing around this kind of stuff anymore. You know, It just it is what it is. I mean, somebody could potentially have inhaled my particles, my unvaccinated particles, caught COVID-19 and died. Well, when a woman gets an abortion uh, past a very, very early stage, a heartbeat's cut out uh, and a child is actually killed. So all these things do have consequences outside of ourselves, but tricky, it gets tricky because it also occurs within our own body. And that's just the side that I go on. So that's that, I guess. You know, it, it, uh, it brings to mind, um, we did an episode uh, going back to, God, I think it was quite some time ago. It was almost like a year ago of when I joined some friends uh, at the Henry Miller Library in Big Sur mm-hmm. for Patti Smith's concert, which was fabulous. It's a beautiful setting, these giant redwoods overlooking uh, some of the most spectacular coastline in the world, not just California. Uh, but it was the first time that I was carded that I had to show my vaccination card which wasn't a big deal. Everybody mm-hmm. was fine. It was a good, good group, mm-hmm. you know. But so it should be because it's such a beautiful, beautiful place, you know. How you know, and Patty Smith was was terrific. But I did, uh, I, I did notice that, um, you know, Henry Miller is this great figure of uh, sort of rebellion and freedom, personal liberty. Uh, 
Patti Smith has been a, a, a rebel, you know, a punk rocker, you know, uh, a, a very edgy artist. It, it seemed like a strange sort of, uh, you know, overlay to mm-hmm. that kind mm-hmm. of an event. And I was just thinking that, uh, and there were folding chairs, there's no, uh, the, the Henry Miller Library is, is just a, a kind of beautiful old rustic shack, uh, really, where he lived, his house. Um, and then an open uh, sort of ground area, where, which is where the concert was. And a dude behind me said, you know, if this were a, a country western event, there'd be a lot of people thinking it shouldn't go ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, we mm-hmm. shouldn't be gathered. That's correct. And I, you know, and there had been something really significant. I can't remember who the artist was, but but he was speaking about a current, you know. Uh, sort of kerfuffle and I thought you know that is right that really is right this the 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 political orientation the style of music the nature of the artist the 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 fact that it was in Big Sur and not Birmingham Alabama you know that changed the whole flavor of it so that for me was something that that got me thinking and uh, made me uncomfortable, you know. Yeah. I, I just I couldn't. There was a bit of dissonance there that I had to really process. Totally, um, and I think that when you're around groups, these sort of these privileged groups who have were given their freedoms back much, much earlier, um, this is part of the inoculation process, or perhaps the decongestant um, Benadryl style technique that I use now because I'm sure people are wondering about that okay David you just essentially just gone through your manifesto about how you feel about COVID that's all well and good but what do you actually do now to get on in the world considering most of my friends are of this class that you speak of everybody's vaccinated there really isn't any room for debate people will get triggered very quickly what I do is very simple when I'm in that milieu when I'm in that atmosphere with my friends uh, and that subject comes up I lie and pretend I <laughs> I pretend that everything that they say about COVID is totally true so I'm not going to be the type of person to be conversing with someone who's talking about their grandmother passing away of COVID and I you know I just can't help myself I'm like well did she die of COVID or with COVID no the only thing I say is I'm sorry a nasty virus and I'm sorry that happened to your grandmother even if it's not something that serious if somebody's saying oh you know I'm not sure that I want to to do x y and z because I'm still a little uh, nervous about catching COVID I say oh that makes complete sense you got to be careful you got to watch out I become a tourist in their reality tunnel and if there's one thing tourists should always be it's it's respectful of other people's cultures well um, said uh, and so, uh, yeah, if, if, if it were a debate, if somebody were to actually ask me, uh, I'd probably lie at this point. No, no kidding, I would probably lie if it was a friend group like that. Because nobody needs to know my particular derangements. <laughs> Except for everybody who listens to this podcast, of course, but that's a completely right. different story. <laughs> well, that's very interesting. You know, my... Uh... 
my situation's been, well, I, I did get vaccinated. I've, I've had one booster. I'm not going to get obsessed with it. Uh, some of my families, they're still quite obsessed, and I think they just want to go on and, and sort of get booster after booster. I, I, when I was getting the shot, though, I, I thought of two things, and I think they are very fair and reasonable things, particularly since we had that obnoxious phrase, which we have unpacked and, and outright, uh, I think, attacked for very legitimate reasons of following the science, mm -hmm. uh, which mm -hmm. is so, so dubious. And I will say to listeners that that, uh, that is a focal point in the Psychic Defense Manual, and we do some, some really good further unpacking in terms of, of strong writing about that and why we have taken on board the what we call scientism. That's uh, that's a, a phrase that is used, institutional corporatized science that has become a monolithic, unquestioning force, uh, believing its own PR, and oftentimes, uh, certainly uh, not maybe intentionally deceiving people, but, but something that needs to be scrutinized, particularly by uh, thinking people, educated people, people who uh, count themselves as, you know, as intellectuals. Um, but I was thinking that two things. One, I, I went back and reviewed the history of Jonas Salk's polio vaccine and how, that, how long that took to develop and roll out, the questions about it. Uh, I mean, I think that's something that, uh, you know, there was a lot of discussion about the influenza outbreak of, of the 20s or whatever, but we didn't really talk about polio. And, and how that rolled out. And I think that was something that should have gotten more review because a vaccine is a very mysterious and magical idea. It's, it's counterintuitive. You inject you know, a disease or some poison into you and then your body adjusts to that ideally. You know, that's the philosophy of it. I mean, I don't know if I'd have thought of that on my own. I think it's a very strange idea. Um, and then I thought about, you know, one of our uh, inspirational heroes is Terence McKenna. Mm -hmm. And he would often say that we need to be careful about relatively newly synthesized laboratory drugs yep. because they simply haven't had uh, the timeline of proof and investigation. Uh, he, he often talked about that in terms of, of psychoactive substances and why he favored natural organic uh, substances as opposed to laboratory synthesized LSD. Uh, but he applied that very broadly because I think the principle is very good. You, you need a track record, you need some time, diagnostic time in a culture to see how something uh, affects and influences. because. Otherwise, inevitably, conspiracy theories will erupt, and, and perhaps rightly so. Mm -hmm. We just don't know what's going on. So my conflict, and I remember uh, I, there was uh, quite a lovely uh, pharmacist gal who was, uh, I really liked her. She was uh, a very good uh, operator in that situation. And we had a good chat while she was you know, giving me the jab about this because she felt the same way. And, and so we were following the science, we were following the social uh, conformity uh, channels, you know, and yet there was uh, internal 
psychic dissonance about it that I felt very strongly. Um, because I'd only started taking the normal flu shot uh, a couple of years before. I mean, I, I really try to take as few of medications as possible. And I think that's a very wise uh, platform, you know? Mm-hmm. So let's get into your, der- I want to hear what you're deranged about. What is, what gets Chris Sacknessum yeah. frothing at what the mouth? Me? Rip, ripping his shirt off like a, a person, like one of those PCP victims that you see on dash cam videos, who are you know yeah, kick, kicking, yeah. kicking through fences and screaming that you know seventy two angels have benighted upon their shoulders, and uh, Donald Trump has deigned that they would be supreme ruler of Gary, Indiana. Uh, what what gets you? <laughs> what gets you in the in the zone like that? Okay, well, I, I can say very, very definitely that what just gets me uh, livid is, is wokeness, and in, particularly in the educational frames of, of American college and university <coughs> campuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, I, I think it's a disease. I, I think it's a complete disease, and I, I would go so far as to say my views align with people like uh, Glenn R- Lowry, Heather McDonald, Jordan Peterson, I think they are not exaggerating the damage that uh, the neo-Marxist left-leaning academics have, the damage that's been done to certainly the humanities and the social sciences. I think STEM subjects have been uh, a little bit protected, but not, not for long. Uh, it's a destruction of the Western canon it's uh, a complete lack of gratitude for where the ideas that we all depend on come from. It's an undermining of literature, philosophy, the very structures of a society based on the rule of law. It, it really is uh, anarchy uh, of the stupidest kind. And it equates directly to, or, or results in, a complete trashing of all standards. And what I am afraid of is that people who say, no, we're not going to teach grammar, we're not going to have tests, no standard testing, we're going to really level the playing field by, by eliminating the playing field. And not only does everyone get a trophy now, now we're not even going to have any, we're going to try to minimize competition as completely as possible, which is absolutely ludicrous. But the number one thing that I have seen in my teaching around America, and this, the problem gets worse, the more elite, supposedly, the institution is, at, I, you know, in other words, private, as opposed to a large state university. I've, I've been pretty, uh, I felt much better about things at, at the larger state universities that I've had any uh, dealings with. But it's that the poison, the rot, has set in so completely with, with such viciousness, uh, it's really hard to stomach. But the thing that just pushes me right over the edge is I see that the supposed beneficiaries of these programs, whether it's critical race theory, wokeness more generally, gender fluidity, the whole notion that tertiary education is not, and I would probably extend that to all of education, K through 12 through uh, college and university. The purpose is not academic, it's not scholastic, it's not teaching skills, knowledge, and respect for intellect. 
it's about some dim-witted idea of social justice mm -hmm. reform, mm -hmm. which could flip over with, with a micro-generational flip, and I think it will. But my absolute certainty is if we look, for instance, at the African-American community of students, I think they are being completely betrayed by this woke ideology. And I think that not even in 10 years' time, I think we're going to see them falling further behind. And it's, it just makes me so angry. And, yeah. the, you know, I, I can see who it benefits. It benefits an administrative bloat of these. And the last university I've been involved in, you can see the quality of their cars. They're driving Porsches. They're driving BMWs. And they have no involvement with students. They're purely admin people. We've got more and more psychologists, more and more counselors. There are a couple of, of really absolutely ludicrous examples of where universities promoting themselves to prospective students and parents cite the number of psychologists they have on, on staff. I mean, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no, mm -hmm. that's not what education is about. So I think you can hear from the tone of my voice that that's, that's what gets me going. Yeah, you can hear it get, get going. Well, I got no qualms with what you're saying. Uh, I think you're... 100% right. I'm having trouble finding <clears throat> the flaw in this because I, it's not that I don't understand the intentions, but rather how those intentions are moronically deployed in higher education. Uh, have you uh, either listened to or read, because you mentioned Heather McDonald and this guy's books will pop up, um, <clears throat> either John McWhorter or Wilford Riley. You heard those two names? Oh, I'm I'm a huge fan of John John McWhorter. I think he is he's a tremendous linguist. He's a great scholar. He teaches at yeah. Columbia, but he also wears the hat of a cultural studies uh, person. Um, he is uh, African American, uh, so he is not only a very accomplished linguistic scholar. He has made some very very sharp comments exactly on this topic, and he's very much on board. I'm very grateful for his voice within uh, academia and within the media. He writes often for the Atlantic and, and some major vehicles uh, because he does have the skin color to to make some comments that are are a lot more difficult from the point of view of you know a white voice. Um, but yeah, he's, he's terrific and he's very much on this case. He, his, his point is that this has become a social religion, that, that this so-called anti-racism, is, is, which is not at all anti-racist, it's, it's, it's about as racist as anything can get, but it has become a fanatical, extremist, evangelical style social religion. Yeah, and the the issue becomes uh, the technical the technical details that guys like McWhorter or Riley or McDonald go into uh, versus the the intent, the, and that's what becomes so frustrating about these debates is that once you start saying things like what you've just said, no matter how logical it is, people say, well, your, your intentions have become no longer pure. So it's a, you see what I mean? It's not, it's not about being logical or correct or right, or even doing what's best for black people or gay people or whoever the, the minority in question might be. 
it becomes about what your intention is right so everything can burn down san francisco is, as a city is a great example of this uh that just keeps having the best intentions and yet look at the city look go, go visit san francisco exactly <laughs> and, and and tell and tell me how they're doing but and that <clears throat> again and i don't want to I don't want to move this back to COVID, but that's something that would drive me crazy with that too, is that you, I, I would be arguing from what I thought was a kind of facts and logic angle, and then it immediately becomes about like, oh, you, well, you don't care about people. In your case, somebody would say, uh, you're racist or you're sexist, because your, your, your intentions are no longer the kind of weepy coddling of the children of slaves, right? That's the that's the angle that they're coming at it from. Meanwhile, you're saying, uh, "I don't give a shit what color you are." There are human necessities that lead to human flourishing, and we're not doing those things for black people right now, right? We're we're giving them as a uh, American blacks as a culture, we're giving them neuroses about these things, you know. Uh, I I can't imagine uh, what it would be like. Well, first of all, just to be black in America, because you know you kind of get it from both sides. I have a good buddy who always sets me straight about this. One of my best buds is a black guy, and he often explains it to me in terms of his experiences growing up with the police, which compared to mine have been unpleasant. Right. So on the one hand, you have that, but now you have. Everybody on the other side constantly telling you about how oppressed you are. And that's not that's not good either, right? Both of those things are victimizing people. Totally. Well, here's a way to, to uh, and, and this, is, this isn't my, my tool for uh, the week, but I think it is a very powerful tool. Uh, this is a way to neutralize and sort of diffuse and to, uh, to take these, this re- take some of the heat out of this issue. Let's look at a, a program of training, education, development, sponsorship, mentorship that has proved enormously successful for African Americans. And it's the major sports programs at universities, particularly football and basketball, for instance. Look what those are based on. They are firmly based on challenge, rewarding effort and support, uh, ongoing mentorship and meritocracy and discipline they're all yeah. about they're all about celebrating competition my black students have been so frustrated with a lot of the coursework because it's condescending because people are trying to take out the competition and i had one student say you know this to me I, he was a really really sharp guy and this was a private comment just you know, before class one day. And he said, you know, imagine walking into a class, bringing in the kind of energy that I bring. And in the, you think in the back of that teacher's mind, he's looking at me going, I wonder if this is going to be a great dispute issue, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, that would, ma- that would make me sick to my heart, you know, right. if I right. felt that. It, it's just absolutely... But it's, there is a lot of good reason for this. There is a lot of good reason. And, and it goes back to a whole generation of admin people who are 
using their positions to put forward a really stupid ideology of supposed diversity and inclusion. And I'll tell you a funny story. This this absolutely got chewed up alive by a couple of my black journalism students. The university was shooting a brochure and shots also for the website, you know, and uh, my students call it faces in the right places, you know, got to get, you know, got to get that black chick in there. Mm -hmm. Well, they were on a tight schedule. So they couldn't find, they were shooting in this, they, I mean, they could have gone out to the Esplanade or to, you know, some more populous part of the campus, but no, 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 they were in this uh, alumni lounge where no students hang out, idiots. And the, the first black person they could get a hold of, because they're, they're on a deadline, they've got to shoot in 15 minutes, is someone who works in the catering staff, not a student, yeah. not a student. <laughs> and it was, you know, you think, wait a minute, we're, I mean, forget about diversity of thought, diversity of intellectual argument, open-mindedness, being able to discuss and debate ideas, forget all about that. This was straight misrepresentation. We just want someone with this skin color in there and we're gonna pop them in like a jigsaw puzzle piece. You know? Yeah. That's what we got. It's ridiculous, yeah. It's absurd and it's ridiculous and it leads to a lot of, uh, I'm hearing my son wake up. Might have a Gus appearance on the show. <laughs> what are you doing, son? Oh, really? Oh, okay. He's got some pipes, doesn't he? He's no, got, you, yeah. you have no idea. What are you doing? Are you playing with your drum? Want me to pick you up? Hold on, let me put my recorder down. Rock and roll! Hi, bubs. All right. Well, him well, I think waking we're ready up. To, yes, to that's hear exactly. your challenge response. It's <laughs> exactly. And then what I have I a, a tool that I want to get to. So yeah, let's let's. I'm really looking forward to to this because I I think that uh, you did such a great job on that other corporate the corporate nonsense piece was fabulous. So hit us up now. All right. So I was sketching notes uh, while we were talking. I didn't have my computer in front of me to type out, so it won't be as fluid as that, but I'll attempt to hit all the points. So this business is called Broken River Inc. It's who knows what it makes, but it's my company. Uh, mm -hmm. I've got a lot of investor, a, a lot of VC money into it, and I've hired a bunch of people. And this is the, this is the intro. At Broken River Inc., we are not a family. We're not even a tribe, because you have to enter into those willingly. We're a team, and I'm its leader. We're a business, and I'm the boss. I do believe in personal freedom, and I hope that you get to exercise that freedom as often that you like both in and out of these four Walls. But as you're interacting with your coworkers, I want to have a broad policy here. No one is an island, but it might be helpful to imagine that they are. Ooh. This isn't your room. You are a guest. We have many cultures here who are meeting each other. So I want you to be a respectful guest. I want you to be 
a respectful tourist as you visit the many islands here at Broken River Inc. So that's what I got. I think that is just fantastic, David. I really do. Again, I call attention to listeners. This That was done in real time, and you heard David participating and really leading the charge very vigorously in terms of the discussion. So he was you know, multitasking there, uh, dual channeling, which is the nature of the exercise. And it's, it's very liberating and empowering for the mind to, to have to do that. I think that was, that was beautifully put. That was really inspiring. I, I would feel very, very uh, uplifted and reassured if a CEO laid that on me, whether in print or, or vocally. You know, mm-hmm. at a at a staff meeting, I think I think that is precisely the kind of direction and uh, authoritativeness that we are craving at every level. I mean, we're craving it at the family level. We're not seeing strong, you know, parents. You know, uh, I hate. Have you heard that word? You know, parenting. You know, as oh my pure, god, I've never heard that, but I hate it. That's oh. awful. <laughs> it's enough to make you sick, isn't it? And it I is, know, yeah. I know lots of people who have fallen into this trap, and they really, they're, they're reaping the whirlwind. And I'm afraid that they're also rele- you know, releasing those tantrum whirlwinds into larger life because they simply haven't wanted to be parents and to really have some authority and consistency mm-hmm. of authority. Yeah. I, I really thought that was beautiful. I... I I hope you do write that up because I think that would be very helpful for a lot of um, people in your cohort who are trying to be entrepreneurs and to start businesses to really craft that sort of CEO uh, profile of how they want to come across. Uh, And I I didn't see anything that was uh, sexist in that. It's a very strong statement. Uh, but I think that would work across so many situations. So, no, bravo. I, I think that's really, really cool. That's what we need to hear as a cool. society. No, I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. Uh, if anybody's wondering how did he do this, uh, when did he find time to do this, it was when we were talking, right? It's, uh, you'll notice that the tourist thing is a direct lift of something that we just talked about. So sometimes the tracks converge and... It's always a very nice synchronicity when it does so. Um, but I'm glad you think so. I think that there's a lot to this idea of, uh, you know, in the freedom of speech versus uh, the freedom from consequences debate that's so popular right now. <clears throat> What's brought up very rarely is just this idea of simultaneously not persecuting or judging anybody for the things that they believe. Uh, whilst simultaneously just observing some general manners for how to interact with other people. You know, I feel like both both sides uh, in many cases could do with, you know, just reading a little bit of uh, Dear Abby or something, right? Just general general etiquette etiquette and politeness, right? Like, we're not, we're not, uh, I'm not your buddy. I'm not your, I'm not your friend. Uh, I'm a I'm a stranger. I'm a person who you interact with when you go to work, and I want to be treated as such with a little a little bit of decorum, a little bit of uh, you know 
a little bit of man, just manners, right? But I expect, but I would be expecting that for everybody, right? Like treat everybody that way. Just be polite. Don't even be nice. Just be polite. Couldn't agree more. That's one of the things. I mean, that's the essence of a civil society, civil discourse. You know, we're losing that. You know, we really are. And if we don't regain it, uh, we have no hope uh, as a species. None at all. You know. Um, well, the tool for this week falls into line with that, and I'll, I'll just give a little background. And when we talk about uh, science and technology, are so important to uh, our notion of, of civilization. And we've talked about the notions of, of technological progress, scientific progress, following the science. You know? Well, if you look at this from the, the history and philosophy of science point of view, there are two kinds of revolutions that are talked about, two kinds of uh, paradigm shifts that move things forward in, in a progression sense. One is concept-led, concept-led developments. And some examples, three really good ones. Uh, the Copernican Revolution, heliocentrism, evolution by natural selection, Einstein's two theories of relativity, special and general. Those are all conceptual revolutions, conceptual revolutions that moved the dial forward. Another kind of crucial kind of progress in science are tool-led revolutions. Some examples might be bone antler technology that divides the Paleolithic period between the Neolithic period. The ability to deal with longitude at sea. Telephony, the internal combustion engine and transistorized electronics and then of course the microprocessor. Those are all tool-led revolutions. Right. Okay, so we've got concept versus tool. Okay. I would argue that we are in the midst today of a spasmodic attempt to put forward social revolution as the paradigm of our time, and we are <coughs> ideologically led, ideologically right. led. And here are the, here are the, here's the problem with that, and here is a proposed remedial solution in part. Ideologies are about beliefs. That's what we've been talking about this episode. They're about values. We hear all this about values. You know, well, there's another way to look at it. What about a skill-led revolution? Mm -hmm. Values live in skills. Skills can teach values, but values don't necessarily teach skills, and I would argue they often do not. I think this is where we get the sense of good intentions and the road to hell being paved with good intentions not being good enough. What we need to get back to is a skill-led society, a skill-led revolution in thought, because we are going to get to a point very soon where we do not have the local talent to deal with a thoracic gunshot wound or to fly a wide-body jetliner. We're going to need robots doing that or people from completely other parts of the world, because we are not giving the, our own people the background in that. We need to get away from the supposed ideological revolution that we are involved in. How empty and impotent can that be? We need to get <laughs> grounded yeah. in a skill 
led revolution, Absolutely. a skill-led revolution. It's got to start at Gus's age. Right. You know? that is, that's so well said that I have no notes for that. That is such a huge shift in the way that so many people think because you are dead on that we have, we talked about this in the main body of the conversation, that one stumbling block that we run up against, one wall that we have to scale is this idea of uh, you know my values versus their values and those two things uh, those those values came to us from where exactly where 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 did our values even come from this is making me think uh, where did where did my values come from why do I value things like bodily autonomy or personal freedom or freedom of speech or, or any of these things it's, it's the, a cart-before-the-horse situation. Conversely, <clears throat> I have friends who know how to change the transmission in, you know, any, any year of Nissan that you could bring to them, right? Uh, they have skills first and lives that follow from those skills and values that have sprung up from those lives. So... I think that's, that's it. huge. That's it. That's the turning point. That's where we, we've got to get to that mindset because that, on that thinking, the whole thing can turn around. You know? It really can. I think so. Yeah. I think that's major. I think that's a big one. Is, it, is there a tip? To, I mean, that's such, a, that's such a good tool. Was that your tool or your tip? Well, that was my big tool. That was that's, that was my tool. tool, and I think "tool" is an important word there to to get us, uh, you know, thinking in terms of skills. Skills before values. Values and beliefs are are, are empty without skills to yeah. support them. You know, wow. um, but my my tip is just is actually because uh, that was a big heavy thing. Uh, the the tip is kind of funny, uh, and it okay. ties in with this. Uh, my uh, follow-up to my textbook, uh, it's about memory. Um, and I was absolutely driving myself nuts. I heard this little vocalization at the end of a song, you know, and not no lyrics, just a, you know, a kind of a humming end of a song. And I was trying to think, damn it, who, what is that? I could not draw a beat on it. I thought, yeah, it's not Bruce Springsteen, it's not Tom Waits. It's, I, I did, I thought, a male vocalist, and I, I just, it was, I, I was just going nuts. I thought, wait a minute, I've got to be able to remember what this is. And I got to the point where I was so boondoggled, I Googled on a list of famous male vocalists over the last hundred years. I thought, look, if I just go down the list, maybe something will, will trigger, you know, the thing. No, I did not get I did not get it. I did not get it. And then I just stepped back for a moment and I said, all right, what would Sherlock Holmes do in this situation? <laughs> and he said, look, no matter you know how odd or crazy or whatever, when you've eliminated all the other possibilities, you've got to look at what remains. And I thought, I'll be damned. I know who, who sang that, because it's not a very interesting or very complicated piece of music, really. It's pretty much just a little, it's, it's not a tune, you know, 
it's a fragment of a tune. And I realized that I had come up with that. <laughs> and I could have been chasing myself like a woozle, like Winnie mm -hmm. the Pooh and Piglet chasing the woozle. I could have been going around on that forever. You know, is it Billy Joel? You know, no, it's not. It's a Lionel Rich, no. You know, right. it's just on and on and on. Nope. It was a little fragment of something that I'd come up with that just stuck in my head, and there it was. And I wonder if this doesn't happen with a lot of what we call memories, where we are in fact, you know, we're, we're recapitulating dreams, we're thinking of things and little glimpses that we have along <coughs> the way, and we're forgetting that, that, that they're ours. They're, they're forgetting that they're thoughts that we had. We're always projecting and externalizing. And sometimes we gotta think, eh, no, I think that, I think I actually thought of that myself. <laughs> That's awesome. Speaking uh, of dreams, have one? Uh, yeah, this is, this, is, this is really cool. Okay, so I'm with a group of people who I've never met before. It's like we've been called together for almost like a market research group, but we've never met. There are about 10 of us. And some of them I can't quite see clearly because it's a very odd room. But we each have a terrarium, okay? A terrarium. And in each of them, there, there's a different historical scene, right? Little toys, trinkets, little sort of thing. And uh, mine is a kind of, of Roman one. And you, you have to assemble things so it makes a coherent scene. Otherwise, if you don't, you get an electric shock through the chair, which is a, a strong enough voltage to be uncomfortable. But the kicker is, in the background behind this sort of uh, plate glass window, there are adjudicators. And like the uh, master puppeteers in Indonesian shadow puppets, they're hooded. Okay, they're hooded, you don't quite see them. And they have the ability to manipulate these machines under the tables and they insert things into the terrariums to kind of mess you up. So the moment you get some semblance of coherence in your scene, you know, I've got a Roman chariot sort of, you know, it's going around and there's a temple in the background and there's a sort of Hellenistic god sort of thing. I'm getting a little bit of order and suddenly, like they'll, they can push up this, you know, a, a, you know, a big metal spider or some hideous sort of thing, or the sand in the terrarium starts to shake and there's an earthquake, and you only have a couple of seconds to get it right before the shock hits you, <laughs> and I'm, I'm just freaking out, and I look over to, like, there's a woman next to me on my left and a, guy, and a man on my right. And I said, I think we got to get out of here because the, what happens if the, if the voltage goes up? And the woman has, she had like a Wild West sort of scene. And, but, and there was a, 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 like an iron horse train coming in, right? And just as she got it, the puppeteer adjudicators just completely destroyed the railroad. And she looks at me, and there's this puff of smoke from her body because the voltage 
has indeed gone up. Wow. And I woke up on that note. Wow. I, uh, it, it's like the Museum of Jurassic Technology meets the Saw film series. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I love yeah. the Museum of Jurassic Technology. That's a very, very apt. Jeez, you're, 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 that's, that's great. Yeah. yeah I love yeah. visiting that. When The last time I was in L.A., I went there, and it's, it's phenomenal. Everybody should check that out. I had a dream that I was in a sort of multi-colored LED rainbow universe where all of the platforms that you walked on were multicolored and I was being led around by a very tan white woman in the uh, the chick from Dr. No's bikini uh, she had I remember in the dream thinking that she had the most amazing powerful legs I'd ever seen and so I'm just you know I'm following her around hoping that there will be sex at the end of this somewhere. And she takes me to a huge room that is basically a ball pit. And I begin to fly through the ball pit and all the balls are flying. And every ball that I, I go through turns into a kind of uh, viscous cum-like substance. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I woke up. Yeah. Oh was, wow! I was led to the semen pit, I guess. But um, so anyway, any guesses as to what was on my mind while I was taking that nap? Uh, <laughs> but oh, but yeah. that's fantastic! Yeah. Oh, I was. I, I, well, I'm there with you. That was very vivid. I, yep. I, I mm-hmm. saw. I felt it. I yeah. felt it. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to. Oh, hey, hey, easy, buddy, easy. I'm, I am going to be uh, wrestling this boy, literally. Um, so that'll do it for me. Great episode. Uh, and I guess we, we'll, we can talk a bit off mic about where we want to go next time. Yeah, yeah. Good out. All right, well, thanks for listening, everyone. Have a right. good, good week. Yep. All right, bye-bye.